Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. We're now doing the psalm for Wednesday. We did the first half last time. We're going to do the second half this time. We'll review first, of course. So um, in the Sim Shalom, complete Sim Shalom, this is uh, page 26, the bottom part, uh, the slim page 87, the bottom part. Uh, I do understand they are working on a weekday Lev Shalem, so... Eventually, there'll be another page to announce, um, but you may have it in your seat or whatever you have at home. Psalm for Wednesday. So we're going to review the first half, um, which I'll do that quickly. Uh, God of vengeance, appear. L- rise up, O judge of the earth, and give recompense to the arrogant. Uh, how long will the wicked, O God, how long will the wicked rejoice? Uh, let's see, swaggering, boasting, or pouring out ar- arrogance, swaggering, boasting. We have slightly different English translations in our two different versions of the Sim and the Slim. Um, they oppress the people. They torment your, your own. Okay. Nice translation of Nachalatcha, which means literally your portion. And who are the people? We said. This is now explicated more fully in the next line. What is there? What constitutes? In what do we see their oppression of God's people? They murder the widow and the stranger and murder um, the orphans. You know, very often we talk about defrauding. Or taking advantage of the poor, the often the widow. This is much, much harsher, right? They kill them. Um, saying, oh, God doesn't see any of this. God does not pay it any heed. Presumably it's the wicked who are saying that. Although it may actually be the downtrodden who are saying that, right? Someone is saying God doesn't pay any attention to what's going on on earth, obviously. Then the psalmist says, hey, listen up, you fools. When are you going to figure it out? You think the one, capital O, who, uh, you know, grants hearing doesn't hear? The one who creates vision doesn't see? The one who... Um, disciplines, nations will not chastise the one who teaches humans wisdom, all rhetorical, right? The answer to those being of, of course, God will, of course, of course, God sees and hears. Okay. Uh, God understands, knows all, uh, human thoughts for they are Pointless. Oops, I've let someone in. Hold on. Okay. Um, right? So human beings, what are the human thoughts? So it could either be the bad guys who are doing this stuff to the good guys. Everything they're thinking, not, uh, not to the good guys, but to the downtrodden, the helpless, the weak. It could be that everything that they, those wicked think, is foolish or pointless. 
or it could be you fools among the nation who think that this is going to go on because God doesn't see or hear. Those thoughts are pointless or foolish. That thought of yours is foolish. One way or the other, we're doing a contrast between mortals and God, right? What, what humans conceive of is, 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 is foolish, pointless, futile. I think we stopped there. Does that sound about right? Yes. Okay. So I think the layout of the thought up until now, sequence of things is fairly clear, but are there any questions about anything we've read so far? either language-wise or conceptually. I just want everyone to want to make sure we're all on the same train here. Okay. Okay, so there's bad stuff going on. Some people, either the wicked or the downtrodden or the foolish bystanders think, well, you know, God doesn't do anything. God's not going to do anything, right? Uh, and then the psalmist says, fools, you think this is, you think nothing's going to happen? You think, you think this is the final act of the play? So now we go on. Okay. Happy is the person whom God disciplines and teaches Torah. So who is that person? Who could it be? Well, it could be the foolish bystanders who don't understand God, they need to learn Torah. It could be the wicked, okay, who are going to get punished. It could be, I do want to point out, the suffering people themselves. Ashrei hagever asher tiasrenu ya literally means happy is the person whom God disciplines. And liaser in biblical Hebrew you know, it doesn't mean discipline like when I talk to families as a psychiatrist. It means, you know, you have to put your kid on a point chart so that they uh hang up their wet towel and they have better discipline. That's not what discipline means in, in biblical discipline. It, it usually implies physical chastisement. Okay? So, um and perhaps this alludes to an idea that the rabbis, perhaps it's suggesting that the rabbis sort of argue about in the Talmud about, you know, is suffering in this life a good thing or not? The, uh, some, because the sages believe in a life after this life, some of them sometimes say, oh, suffering in this life is good because you are, you know, Paying down your debt, you're, you're being given some of the punishment you deserve, which means in the next life, you're not going to be given that punishment. You're going to get reward. There's an interesting debate about this. One rabbi goes to visit another rabbi who is sick and suffering, and they debate about this. Um, so just sort of hold that there. So it's good to be disciplined and to learn. Right? Here's uh, to calm them during bad days until a pit is dug for the wicked. A pit being dug for the wicked, presumably meaning they are going to get their punishment. So what should people do 
until the wicked get their punishment. Wait calmly during their time of suffering. Hmm. Training him to wait calmly in adversity. Okay. So who's getting the adversity? I just want to point out who's getting the adversity, right? It's the downtrodden. So this could be, you know, this could be a, a forerunner of blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth in Jesus's servant sermon on the Mount and the gospels. Okay. Which to whatever extent the sermon on the Mount took place, it was a lecture that a Jewish teacher was giving to other Jews. I'd like to point out, right? It's nothing Christian about early, the early Jesus movement. So, Ashra, you know, this really is a version as blessed are the meek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The humble, the downtrodden. Ashrei Hagever. They're fortunate. Okay. Just stay calm. Don't worry. A pit will be dug for the wicked. Not a message of fight back. I want to point out. Why? We have these two words for God's portion, Am and Nachala, that we saw a few lines ago, right? They oppress God's nation and God's portion. Uh, but here it says, oh, God is not going to abandon God's nation or abandon God's portion. You think you're abandoned? You're not. Ki ad sedek yashuv mishpat ve'acharav kol yishrei lev, a challenging sentence grammatically. Uh, it's clear that something is going to happen, which is tzedek and mishpat, righteousness and justice, and something for the those who are straight of heart. We might call it in English pure of heart. Okay, justice will return to the righteous. All the upright in heart will strive for it. Uh, same English translation in both. Does anyone have a different Sidur with a different English translation? Michael, <laughs> just that line. Michael, uh, let's see. Wait a minute. The line of justice, uh, justice, uh, righteous. Justice shall revert to righteousness, where, uh, and following it uh, will be uh, all of upright heart. So right. it's not that different. Well, which I don't really understand either. Okay, so something about. Something, it's, it's a difficult sentence in Hebrew, which means something like, there's gonna be justice, there's gonna be righteousness, and either, ve'acharav, either after it, or they should follow it, those who are straight of heart. Presumably, that, that means you, you shouldn't be wicked, you also shouldn't be one of the foolish people who say, God doesn't see, God doesn't hear, right? If I just said to you, like, oh, which which club do you want to be in, yeah. right, at this point in the psalm? Uh, it's like, oh, Lord, I want to be in that number, right? Yeah. What number do you want to be part of? What group do you want to be part of? The ones who are waiting for and expecting and know that there will be justice and righteousness, something like that. The Yishrei right? I want to be among those who are of straight heart. Notice, by the way, similar to what we spoke about on the Sunday Psalm, Psalm 24, who gets to go up to the temple? Niki chapayim uvar levav, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And here, bar levav means pure heart. Here we have yishrei lev, 
the straight hearted, the straight minded. Okay. So in this section, I think we just read a, a new section. Um, the psalmist is saying something like either stay calm. The wicked are going to get their comeuppance and justice and righteousness will appear, right? Because God does not abandon God's people and justice and righteousness will take over the day. And you want to be one of the Yishrei Lev, not one of the wicked. Okay. Or you want to be one of the Yishrei Lev and not one of the foolish who say, ugh, God's not going to do anything. Um, but it's not quite even just stay calm. It's tolerate your suffering. Okay. Lahashkitlo from Sheket to remain literally. What does that mean? To remain what? Sheket. Quiet. Remain your suffering quietly is what it might mean. It's, it's very, um, um, strong and may offend us. So that's why I'm, I'm, or may, may not correlate with our sensibilities, our sociocultural sensibilities at this more moment in time. Uh, that's, that's why I'm highlighting it. Okay. Uh, not, not everything it says in every prayer is something that you say like, Oh, I agree with that a hundred percent. I could have written that if I was more poetic, right? Uh, and new Hebrew. So it's saying, Take the suffering calmly. Ashrei hagever asher tiasrenu ya. Happy is the person who takes God's chastisement. It's only temporary, that chastisement. Don't worry, straight-hearted people. God does not abandon God's own forever. The wicked will get their comeuppance, even though... At this moment in time, that is the implication of this. At this moment in time, that does not appear apparent. It's not what's happening now. Just trust, have faith. Okay, Michael O is chomping, chomping at the bit. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just, uh, isn't this assuming that the evildoers are going to change their ways or have chuva or, I mean, or, well, what? I mean, or, uh, it's a big assumption know. for people. Uh, for the psalmist to uh, to say, just be patient. I mean, I know I'm thinking of it in terms of perhaps a more modern interpretation. Yeah, uh-huh. but I, right. Well, I I just want to point out there's nothing in here so far about the evildoers changing. Actually, what it says is what will rectify this situation is that a pit will be dug for the evildoers, which sort of means you know it's kind of biblical proto idea for by the way, the pit sometimes means a trap. Okay. That sometimes it's a concrete thing. There's all sorts of things in Psalms about falling in a trap. You have to imagine, you know, pre-modern traps of there's like a hole dug in the ground and it's covered with something and then someone falls in it, like in the forest. Okay. Sometimes they have traps, which are like bird traps and animal traps. They, they, you know, those snappy things that, 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 um, animals get caught in. So, or sometimes shachat is used as one of the synonyms for going down to the underworld, you know, death, uh, what comes to be thought of later as hell, but is probably not in the Bible, because the Bible probably doesn't have hell, but it does have an underworld. So, uh, Michael, I just want to argue with you a little bit and say, well, okay, that you may want to, 
you you may want to put that interpretation in, but it seems to me here so far, what's going to happen to the wicked is they will have their downfall. Not they will repent and say, oh, widows and orphans, we're sorry. We're going to, you know. I see that. Right. We're going to build, we're going to build more homeless housing. Okay. Doesn't say that. Says they're going to get theirs, I think. So, so what are you, what are you, meaning we bystanders supposed to do at this moment at this psalm? I think it's wait. Just wait for it. They'll get theirs. Okay. Um, can that simply be metaphoric for grave? Okay. Yeah. Which means what? Dead. Dead. Yeah. Don't worry. God will kill them. That's what that means. If, if you're, if you want to say one way or the other, they're going down. Okay. Um, we'll come back to that. Okay. Perhaps, uh, okay. Another section. Not sure. Mi akumli im mireim. Mi yatsevli im poale aven. Okay. I think this sentence is a, I think probably the shot means who will stand up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the evildoers? <laughs> we just have it, you know, parallelism. Yitzhatsev and Yakum, Mireim and Poaleavin. Mireim is, you know, bad doers. Poaleavin is those who do evil. All right. So rhetorical question. Who's going to stand up for me? Right. Presumably God. Lulei Adonai Ezratali Kimat Shachna Duma Nafshi. Had God not been my help, I, 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 I almost, my life almost would have gone down to Duma, another word for grave or underworld. I might have been dead if God wouldn't have stood up for me. Barely alive, barely saved me. Ima Marti Mataragli If I said my foot is stumbling, I'm slipping. Hashem, your faithfulness supports me. Birov sarapai bikirvi tanchumecha yishashu nafshi. When I have, one translation here is cares. It's a bit of a stronger word. Um, it's when I have tormenting thoughts is really what it means. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bad thoughts, worried thoughts. Um, they use forebodings in the arts world. Forebodings. Nice, by the way, for those who, who look at Hebrew, uh, Barbara, please look at the word sarapai. It is a very odd word. It is a quadriliteral. It's a four-letter root, not a three-letter root. Saraf. It's a very strange word. I do not know its derivation or etymology. You can ask Verit. Why is it a four-letter root? Where do four-letter roots come from? Whatever. My cares, my troubles, my forebodings. When, so when I have forebodings inside of me, God... I'm talking to God. Your comforts gladden me. Okay? So, I almost could have died had God not... Who Who's going to defend me? You know, I almost could have died. Um, but when I have all this... When my, my I feel my foot stumbling. God, you support me. When I'm filled with forebodings, worries, cares, uh, your comfort gladdens me. That's one possibility. Another possibility, which I will admit may be my reading in something I want to read in. I used to say, no, 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 it could mean this. And 
this year, I'll say, I don't know, maybe I made it up. Mia Kumli Imre'im, go back two or three lines. Who will stand up for me with the evildoers? I think it could be interpreted to mean who will stand up with me against the evildoers? Who will stand up with me against the evildoers? It could mean stand up on my behalf. And you can argue with me. You could say, oh, if the psalmist wanted to say with me, he would have said E.T. And I'll accept that argument, maybe. And I personally prefer that interpretation because it makes us God's partners. Because up until now, the psalmist is counseling what we would call passivity. Just take it. You know what? Your your suffering is a learning experience. It pays off some of your debt because we all deserve some punishment from God because we all sin. And so it'll make the next life easier. Don't worry. The sinners will get theirs. Just be calm, right? Keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and take it, perhaps, is the tone of the psalm. Okay, so mi akumli imreim. Who's going to stand up and help me against those evildoers makes it somewhat more active. And I, I used to think, oh, that's what the line means. And now I say like, uh, oh, that might be what the line means. Okay. Um, so. The, well, I, I like, I, I, I just want, so yeah. one more thing, Michael, one way or the other, one way or the other, whether I'm active or not, depending on how you interpret that line, it still means were it not for God's support, um, um, I got like one foot, I got one foot in the grave. Were it not for God's support, I would be done for. Whether it is God's actual support or the support in God's mind, in my mind, right? When I am full of troubles, forebodings, right? The comfort is internal. Is it internal comfort? Or is it actually support? Okay, I want to say, if I said, oh, my foot is slipping, your loyalty, Hashem, supports me, helps me, right? Sa'ad, which becomes the root of the modern Hebrew word, also rabbinic Hebrew, meaning a feast. The core word actually means to support or help. Okay. So it's not just a thought somehow, right? Somehow God is helping me. Is God helping me while I am being passive and hoping not to die? Is this internal help? Is God externally helping me while I'm being passive and hoping not to die? Or is God actually helping alongside of me, I, who am trying to do battle with the evildoers? Again, perhaps my wishful thinking about what that sentence means. But that's what I'd like it to mean. Michael O. Well, I think I like that interpretation because, because you know, I mean, it's much ju- as opposed to just being passive and not doing anything. It almost, what you're suggesting is that Barov Sar Api Bakir B, when my, when my, well, they talk, they translated here when my forebodings were abundant within. Yes. Yeah. And so it make it, it also that to me creates a, a sense of, of more action. In other words, 
I had some reserve in me uh-huh. from, from the good things and yep. that, that I can be more active in the process with you as a partner, God. Right. Except, yes, except maybe I'm doing what you're doing, which is I'm making the psalm mean what I want it to mean instead of what the psalmist originally meant. Just like you saying, oh, it's about tshuva. Right. So maybe. Okay. Um, uh, I, I want to try to race through to the end. Okay. Hi, a very difficult Hebrew word, uh, line. Hayechov rechak, say havot, yotzer amal aleichok. We have different translations. We'll ask Michael for his also. Uh, Michael, you have what, art scroll? Yes. Okay. So we have two ones here. Uh, are you allied with seats of wickedness, those who frame injustice by statute? Of course, rhetorical question, the answer being no. Will the immoral claim you as their partner, defending evil under the mantle of the law? Again, those wicked, they think you're in league with them and they're using the law to, 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 to cloak their efforts. Art scroll? What does that say? What does art scroll say? Can the throne of destruction be associated with you, those who fashion evil into a way of life? Okay. Again. So it's clear that it's rhetorical. It's clear that somehow uh, we're saying, can evil possibly be allied with God? The answer is, of course, no. Okay. Because this psalm is all about, so far, which side are you on? Okay. Or the third side. The third side is the foolish people say, like, ah, God's not interested. God, he doesn't, God doesn't see. God doesn't hear. God is not involved in any of this. Okay. Would you possibly ally yourself with the wicked or could the wicked possibly ally themselves with you? Those who gang up against the soul, the life of the righteous and, uh, condemn the innocent to death. Okay. Good enough. All right. Those wicked people. Again, by the way, we're not, we're not talking. I, I want to point out, we're not talking about here like, oh, you know, they defraud them. They rob the poor. It's pretty harsh what they do to the poor. But, But God will be my stronghold. My God will be my rock of protection. So do the, do the oppressors have power? Yes, they most certainly do. But God is not allied with them. God is allied with us, the suffering, suffering or downtrodden. Now it's personal, right? We we're talking about the before they oppress the poor, but this is Lee, right? Same as we started earlier. Miyakum Lee im mereim. Um, by the way, it occurs to me now, um, that starting with Lulei Hashem Ezrata Lee, if God did not help me, and, sorry, I'll back it up a line. Miyakum li im mereim. Who's going to stand up for me or with me against the evildoers? Up until then, up until then, we had nothing in the first person. It was all in the third person. It was all about those poor orphans and widows who are getting the stuffing kicked out of them. There's the evil do. I'm telling a story. There's the evildoers. There's the helpless. There's the foolish bystanders who think, oh, this is proof that God doesn't care. Okay. It's all telling a story until the point where the psalmist says, I think until, I think that's until that point. I think that's the first point. 
where it's miyakum li, imre, all of a sudden it became personal. First half up until that point, it's not personal. The, the psalmist is just describing the condition of the world, the way it's, the way it works. The oppressors take advantage of the helpless. The bystanders say, look, what are you going to do, man? Right? Um, and the psalmist is scolding them saying, what, what, what? You think God's not going to do anything about this? Think God is, you think God doesn't act sooner or later? All of a sudden there's Lee. All of a sudden it's about me. Who's going to stand up for me against the evildoers? All of a sudden the, the psalmist is actively involved. If God did not help me, I would be dead. When my foot is slipping, you help me. When I have troubles, you comfort me. Oh, could anyone think you would be allied with the wicked? They gather against the tzaddik and the naki, but God is my miskav, my stronghold. So first part, we're talking about what the drama out there. All of a sudden in the middle, the psalmist is interjecting himself, God, you support me. And it's clear now that the psalmist is not an observer anymore in the second half. I hope everyone sees that change. The psalmist saying, God, I need your protection. So God is, uh, we're in the middle of a thought. God is my stronghold. It's going to be my stronghold. And God will return their wickedness on them and uh, smash them by virtue of their wickedness. God, by the way, uh, um, the, I want, I want you to hear the poetry of the Hebrew about how certain the, the, uh, psalmist says they're going to be smashed. Repeats the word. Vayashev alehem et onam, uvraatam yatsmitem. Yatsmitem Adonai Eloheinu. He, and, and with their wickedness or with their own wickedness or because of their wickedness, he will smash them. Hashem our God, uh, smash them. Will Hashem our God, right? It's repeated to smash them, smash them, destroy them. It's a very strong word for destroy. Ah, destroy. Okay. Cut them off. Cut them off. Okay. So this, by the way, Lechun is the beginning of the next Psalm, Psalm 95. It is not actually part of this Psalm. So this Psalm actually ends. God will return their wickedness on their own head and utterly destroy them. That is the end of the psalm. That's Psalm 94. Why do you think the Sidur, the group mind that composed the Sidur, included the first couple of lines of Psalm 95 in the psalm for Wednesday, given that it's not actually part of Psalm 94? Let's go to God and sing to God. Let's go sing to him because he is a great God, which is the beginning, of course, of Lachuna Ron and our Friday night. Terry, why do you think? Because otherwise you want to slit your throat. It's so dis- it's so distressing. I'm and going out to my day <laughs> saying I'm waiting for God to smash them. <sighs> Taking off my chillin and tallis. Bye. See you tomorrow. Right. <laughs> it's a although we do want God to smash them. It's a very. um negative kind of note emotionally to end on. Um, and I think the group mind said, we just can't send people out that way. We, we let's, let's pl- 
take the next couple of verses. We finished Psalm 94. Let's take the opening of Psalm 95 to make it be on a somewhat more uplifting note. Okay. So, right. It ends then liturgically. God's going to smash them. And therefore, let us praise God and go out to greet God, thankfully, because God is great. Allahu Akbar, which means God is the greatest. I learned that in my Arabic class. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, if you, if you ended without adding the, the words from Psalm 95, it would be like Wednesday. You're already looking forward to Shabbat. Yes. How can you, right. How can you end in such a bad note? Nice. So as I said last week, right? Wednesday, you know, the sequence of Psalms, Wednesday is the furthest away from Shabbat. So one could see Wednesday as the nadir, N-A-D-I-R, low point of the week. So look what, look at our sequence. Let's consider our sequence again of Psalms. I'm coming out of Shabbat, Psalm for Sunday. Who can go up to God's holy temple? Clean hands, pure heart. I feel pretty pure. I just came out of Shabbos. It's nice. Monday, the holy city, the city of righteousness. You know, people, the kings come to gather against the city. They're just astonished and they go away. They're so impressed. Okay. So we had holy person day one, holy city day two, day three. Ah, that's starting to, you know, there's this council of the gods or the mighty or the judges or whoever. I thought I could trust them. You thought you could lie. You know what? I realize actually only Hashem is the only one you can rely on. Okay. So we're beginning to get a hint of, you might call it negativity. You might call it realism. Okay. In the Psalm for Tuesday. Psalm for Wednesday is much, much stronger than that. I look around the world and the wicked take advantage of the weak. And some people say, what do you expect? No justice, no God. Doesn't say no. He doesn't say there's no God. That, that's not what they say. They say God doesn't see, God doesn't hear, God's not going to do anything, right? They're not atheists, but they do not believe that God is actively involved in the course of justice. Okay. Fools, you think God's not going to do anything? Eventually, giving the wicked their comeuppance. All right, God will not abandon God's people because there is going to be tzedek and mishpat, and following God should be all who are straight of heart. By the way, the psalmist might have been despairing up until that point. You know, it's really terrible. Right. But there is going to be justice. And who's going to follow them the straight of heart? And now who does the psalmist want to be? Does he want to be the wicked? No. Does he want to be the helpless? No. Does he want to be the foolish bystanders? No. He wants to be among the straight of heart, the Yisraelev, okay, who follow God. So who's going to stand up for me or with me? Okay. Who will defend me against these evildoers or who will stand up alongside me against these evildoers? You know, God, when I find my foot stumbling, or when I am overcome by my fears, it's you who support me, okay? Um, will wicked people think you are allied with them, those who oppress the righteous? Uh, God is my stronghold, and God will bring about their downfall, 
So it does end up on a note of a sense of security. So there is this, I, I, I think I see it, this is my interpretation. It's the Psalm for Wednesday. It's the nadir of the week. It's the, it's when you, you, and the, the nadir emotionally, psychologically is that the person's looking at the world and saying, geez, it's a mess. It's really terrible. Right. But there is the note of, I don't want to say just optimism. It's really sense of security. It will not always be this way. The wicked will get their comeuppance. I know which team I want to be on. Okay. And ultimately we, we of course would like, because, because like Michael O says, um, we like, you know, Chuva, we wouldn't write this as the wicked will be destroyed. We would say like wickedness will be destroyed. Although that's not actually the language of the psalmist. Well, the psalmist is saying they will be destroyed, those evildoers. There's a thought that keeps me going and supports me and comforts me. They will have their downfall. Okay. Um, but again, because we just can't add with downfall as the last sentence. Uh, the group mind of, of, of Sidur editing, um, uh, added these, the next three lines of beginning of Psalm 95. By the way, uh, just very briefly, what does it have to do with the, the, um, fourth day of creation? You're not likely to guess what the Talmud says, I warrant. Um, and the Talmud says it's because, uh, on the fourth day, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And evildoers are idolaters who worship the sun, the moon, and the stars, right? So sun, moon, and stars, idolatry, evildoers, that's why we're talking about them. You know, kind of a, a certainly a, a literary stretch, I think, beyond anything that's in the psalm. But, you know, the Talmud, like us, is stuck with the tradition of the Mishnah saying, this is what the Levites said on Wednesday, so they have to come up with some kind of reason connecting it to days of creation the talmud by the way doesn't talk about the sequence of psalms like this talks about this is has to do with the first day of creation this has to do with second day of creation this is the third day of creation it's only later generations that that read it and say okay is there some sequence here to the week okay we gotta stop quick question yep michael h quick question yes the torah was written in a thing in a scroll which was later broken up into Parshiot and Aliyot and so forth. It wasn't identified that way at first. Is the same true of Psalms? Was Psalms originally one scroll and, 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 and rabbis later decided where each one started and ended or? Well, first of all, we don't know that Parshiot are not original. Chapters and verses are not original, but uh, the scrolls have spaces in them to indicate where something starts and ends. And we don't know that those were added later, meaning to assume that whatever the earliest Torah scrolls were, they were all written with no breaks. Like, why would we assume that? The traditional assumption is that the spaces which mark conceptual divisions, not chapters and verses in terms of numbers, but I will say chapters in air quotes, meaning sections. So the traditional view is that those who are original to how things were written, okay? Um, and there was certainly 
always an oral tradition about where sections started and ended. So there are Psalms scrolls, like in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is the earliest physical writings that we have of something like this. So uh, it would be interesting to look at, Michael is suggesting, oh, maybe those next three lines, someone thought they were really part of the Psalm. Right. Okay. Well, I guess they, Michael, I guess they didn't think that for Friday night, because Friday night starts, it starts the beginning of a chapter with So I guess the authors of Friday night thought that's the beginning of a new chapter. Okay, but it's a good question. When we're talking breaks for um, uh, the first part of each, uh, for the part when we when we have this, the Saturday sections, of yes. they're broken up into seven parts. We obviously don't use the seven but apparently it was the Christians that broke up those seven parts because in um, Shemot, um, we just finished and went into Vayera and Vayera starts in sentence two and uh, the end of the Parshiot Shemot is um, actually sentence one of whatever chapter. I think it's chapter six, but I can't so, remember. So sorry. Jews always had divisions. It's not true that that the Christians had partiality. We didn't have a Jews always had divisions. Okay, if you look at a Torah scroll, there are spaces. The spaces are divisions. Christians, then, Barbara, what you're thinking of is that Christians invented the con, invented chapters and verses. Right in the Middle Ages, Jews ended up adopting the Christian chapters and verses, but. Where chapters start and stop, according to the Christian division, does not always correspond to the traditional Jewish division. Okay, well, I, with the, we got this from Rabbi Klingfeld for this one specific, so maybe uh-huh. not all. Yeah, I, I guess the point I'm making is that Christians created the chapters and verses, and those do not, yes, uh, those do not always correspond to what the Jews thought of as I'm going to say chapters in air quotes. I don't think they had the concept of chapters. They had the concept of different sections. Okay. We would call that chapters, but that's kind of a later book invention. Okay. Um, bookish invention and their chapters don't always correspond to the traditional Jewish divisions. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sections, Christian chapters, which Jews have adopted don't always conform to traditional Jewish divisions, but divisions presumably were always there. Okay. Thank you. Okay. And, and another, another, right. another course I had or experience that, that I think the Psalms were written in three different periods. At least they divide them, uh, you know, more non-Jewish, but academic. I don't know if that's true. Three different eras with three different concepts. Well, Bar- well, Barbara taught us, I think it was last week or the week before when the Psalms were written based on Rav Google, right? Uh, <laughs> so, right. So the Psalms were written between the year 100, you know, somewhere between the year 1000 and 400. But if you, if you took a course in a university on the Bible, when they get the Psalms, they'd say there were, there were three different divisions. They, some people would say that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. not, some, not, some yeah. would say that. So there are various ways of dividing. And the traditional way, of course, is they were written by King David. Okay. David Melech Yisrael Chai Vikayam, 
that will be my conclusion. Everyone have a wonderful Hanukkah and midwinter, and we'll meet again, God willing, January 10th. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.